Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Uh, it's going fantastic. I've been an actual musician the last couple of weeks, and it's been delightful, I must say. Well, I know people have missed you, and people are absolutely right. When you're not on the show, it does give the show a different tone. Uh, we apologize for having to go ahead without Matt, but uh, your music schedule, unfortunately, until we are an internationally recognized, fully professional multimedia motorsport outlet, we can't quite afford to prize you away from music just yet. Yeah, it's getting closer, and thumbs up for the progress we've made, but we're not quite there yet. It is worth pointing out that because of our patrons, we have actually managed to wrestle a little of your freelance time, and Matt does loads of behind-the-scenes stuff. If you listen to the show this year, I think you can actually pick the exact moment that Matt took over from me uh, on the show notes, because A, everyone could actually read them because they were written in English and not just the garbled typo-ridden mess, and actually they had some structure and content. I do pride myself on trying to organize things a bit more so it's easier for the panelists when they jump on. Excellent. So I'll give an early plug then for Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, because we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by our PR media guru man, Chris Stevens. I lose track of what you do, but we leaned on you so much 
for the last three years just for your drumbeat of journalistic knowledge. And uh, we give you a lot of flat, Chris, but honestly, having you on board has meant that I've, I've known what's going on without having to just like pile on the internet and do hours of research. You're a walking motorsport encyclopedia. Three years. Is that how long it's been? Yeah, it has been. I mean, I'm not saying your opinions are any good, but just for like (laughs) dictate reading out things that you found out. That's great. I mean, your fence sitting is unbelievable, but we all have our strengths and weaknesses. I I was going to come in here and say, oh, it's nice to do another year, you know, our last Sunday show of of the year. And nice to see you uh, showing absolutely no bias whatsoever in your attire this evening. Uh, Are you referring to my Lewis Hamilton Christmas jumper and somehow suggesting that that is showing bias? It is very snazzy. I can't deny it. Did someone just mention tires? Uh, (laughs) No, not at all. Did they? Attire? attire. Oh, attire. Oh, I see. I like that. That was a stretch, <laughs> even for you. Uh, but no, this is a Lewis Hamilton Christmas jumper, kindly donated by listener Darren Johnson. Thank you very much, Daz. Fantastic of you to surprise me with this at the, the karting event. And it's been hanging in my cupboard, ready to break out onto the live stream. But that doesn't necessarily reflect my opinion. We're also joined by our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Jeansy? Are you all right? Have you enjoyed this year on Missed Apex? I've been loving it. It's been great. I think it's not my first, my second full year, I think, on on as, as part of the panel. And it's been great. It's been really good fun. I think we've grown a lot this year. Um, and I think we've seen another great year of racing. And I, and it's weird. I, I don't normally do the news shows, but I thought I'd help you at last minute. Well, the, the race reviews are like the glory shows, but I do like having you on the race reviews because you'll suddenly give us the in-helmet point of view because we're looking at it just from a... Well, essentially, everyone goes into it by... How can I say that my driver wasn't to blame? But then you and Brad come into our chat or onto the podcast and you go, ah, but in the helmet, it feels like X. Yeah, it's just a bit of added experience and 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 how how I see it. But the thing is, to be fair, even sometimes we get it wrong. Like Brazil, first time I saw Lewis on Albon in Brazil, I called it as Albon's fault, but where it changed later, it was it was definitely this. Oh, so sometimes you, you go from the correct view to the wrong view. I didn't... I didn't realise it. I didn't realise it goes that way at all. Oh, that's uh, that's interesting and disappointing. But let's move on to our season review. Okay, Matt, uh, you have divvied up the teams between us four panelists here. So I will leave it to you to choose the order and to nominate a person for the second part of our 2019 F1 review. Well, I, I think we should start pretty much where you would have left off with the last show, and that would be with the most successful team in the bottom half, none other than Scuderia Toro Rosso, which will be no more in 2020, sadly enough. And uh, I believe that is Chris Stevens, who's taking us through the season of Toro Rosso, uh, soon to be known as still Toro Rosso. <laughs> For us, Alpha Tauri next season, go on. I no disrespect to the Red Bull guys, uh, but uh, it's, it's not a great name. For I, I would like to refute that before before we go any further. I would like to refute that no disrespect. It's a ridiculous decision to give a name that is predominantly already taken. So imagine just, well, do you know what? We'll just call our team Renault X and that, that no one will mind. Renault 2. <laughs> yes. But I, 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 did, uh, I did the Toro Rosso season review in last year's uh, show. 
So uh, this is uh, this is nice for me. Get to sort of pick up where I left off twelve months ago, and uh, where they were twelve months ago was ninth in the championship. It was yes. not a great year for Toro Rosso, of course. First year with the Honda engine, uh, a lot of uh, stuff with the drivers. Of course, Brendan Hartley was still. Uh, driving for the team back then and he was having a very torrid time of it just 33 points for that team and this year boy oh boy have they jumped up nearly uh triple the points more than double at least 85 points they scored this year and sixth in the championship wasn't part of the reason though that they had so many penalties and things last year was because they were rapidly advancing it and trying to change lots of things so they sacrificed the team for um the benefit for this year exactly the, uh, the next point i was going to make was that you know they were a bit of an, an experimental team uh, last year and they would fully sacrifice the weekends for the development of the honda um, engine and we have seen that has very much uh, paid off because they've got a, a fantastic car now I, I do think there is a small amount of context to take into toro rosso's performance from uh, this season i think they've taken advantage of racing points tough season obviously not what we uh are used to seeing them uh, a terrible season for Haas as well Renault have had a very up and down season and the Toro Rosso team has really been able to take advantage of that but of course the team itself has made improvements as well with closer times to, to Red Bull for example uh, the chat room uh, wants to know where they can get one of these uh, Lewis jumpers uh, you can get it from www.nobiasjumpers.com Dot com. Thank you very much to the live stream for joining us. You have been also a massive source of information and correction. Uh, so you've saved us quite a lot of edits in the past where we can immediately see where we've made an error and then address or clarify that on air or double down and yell at you and tell you you're definitely still wrong. Uh, but Michael Dustelhoff, actually before uh, Alex Van Jean uh, uh, did it because of the lag and the delay we have on the comments on the stream, uh, pointed out as well that they were on full-on development for Honda last year as well. So thank you very much for that that comment there, Michael. And welcome to everybody in the chat room. Go to YouTube and search for Missed Apex Podcast. But Chris, I, I'm wondering, overall, where do we see Toro Rosso in the in the kind of the the myth and legend of F1? How will they be remembered? Will they always be remembered as as this out and out B team, or have they done anything this year to suggest no, they're they're a force of their own? Oh, that's a really good question. Of course, before Red Bull became a race-winning and title-contending team, as much as it was still considered a B team for the senior Red Bull team, they were able to outpace them. You know, at time, and that's how Sebastian Vettel, you know, won the 2008 Italian Grand Prix in a Toro Rosso. So, well, that and the rain, but. <laughs> You know, it was, but you don't see those kind of scenarios anymore. Whereas I think Toro Rosso will be remembered as an out and out B team. I think it's pretty well documented that Toro Rosso in 2007 was a as developed as the current Red Bull. It wasn't quite a number two car that year. Yeah. But then you don't even, you wouldn't even see that this year, for example. And, you know, the B teams are very much the B teams because Red Bull wasn't, you know, a, a top contender back then. Yeah, it, it, I think there was more opportunity for them to just, well, we've got this experimental thing. Let's chuck it on the car, see if it works. It does. Brilliant. Let's, and they beat us from weekend, but oh, well, now we're going to be ahead. Stroll got second on the grid one year in a, in a Williams in the rain. So yeah. is Stroll as good as Vettel or is Vettel as good as Stroll? Well, he didn't actually qualify second, did he? He qualified like seventh and there were five guys in front of him with engine penalties. So let's be 
All right. Let's be crude. All right, Chris. If you're gonna if you're gonna come in here with facts and good counter arguments, we're gonna have to draw a, <laughs> draw a close to things fairly quickly. Uh, but it, it's so weird with the Toro Rosso season. You're talking about podiums. Then all of a sudden, they pick up their second podium. No one was expecting or calling calling that. And for a team that, if we're accepting that now, especially last season, proves that they are really are this out-and-out B-team outfit. For the guys there that are toiling away, obviously it's a good opportunity to move up to Red Bull, but that second podium in there, is that the second podium in their history from what, Gasly? Third. Third, was it? In- including Brazil. Right, okay. But such an unexpected reward for their toils this year. Yeah. I think for any midfield team in current Formula One, because of course we're always talking about the the huge gap between the top guys in the midfield and the best that these guys can can get on an average day is seventh. Yeah, and so the fact that they've been able to score two podiums this season through circumstance for sure, but they had to be in that position to do it. You know, they've been Class B if you want leaders at times but also there to take the fight to them when the opportunity arises like those races in brazil like the race we saw in germany and that's why we got you know those those results because it is when you look at it a very well strung together team yeah yeah uh but also if you look at the drivers they've had to deal with that was not of their own making they didn't sack a driver they didn't bring in a new guy mid-season they've had to deal with all of that yeah, it's it's interesting because of course you bring a new driver in and suddenly everything's got to change. Not only you have to get you know the new the new seat fitted and then oh they'll have a different driving style, so now the setup of the car is going to change. There'll be so much that you have to go through with the introduction of a new driver that you usually get the off season to prepare for. But these guys just had the the summer break to deal with the Albon Gasly um, swap. But in terms of the drivers, I, I want to start off by talking about Danny Kvyat. Okay, because we, we, we've talked a lot about Danny Kvyat. I think you know the, the the Red Bull man who was demoted for Max Verstappen and then cast aside, and now brought back because Red Bull ran out of drivers, uh, and is the same reason that Albon is on the grid. Incidentally, um, and so actually coming into the season, I thought it's going to be a dreadful year. They've got two rejects in the car, uh, and uh, and that's not being harsh. They literally are. You were classing, rejected from the program. You were classing Albon as a reject. He was rejected from the Red Bull program in 2012. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, I see. So technically correct. Okay, fine. You stick by being technically correct. Well, have to point to the chat room for a second because uh, Dino uh, Montreal has just cracked me up that he's just to avoid confusion. Alfa Romeo is going to be renamed Toro Romeo. And I think that will, that will solve it, Matt. That, I don't know why we didn't think of that. Why am I even bothering to put these into later consideration if you're oh, just going to read them on the show I'm now? I'm sorry. I'll close the chat room and stop being entertained by them. They are awfully distracting anyway. Uh, Chris, uh, sorry, yes, uh, drivers. So uh, they they started the season with, in your eyes, two rejects. How did it uh, uh, develop from there? Really well, actually. You know, I, I think a lot better than anyone expected. Kvyat kind of burst back onto the scene, didn't he? As uh, very much the, the team leader, but also... Uh, setting a really good baseline for Albon, especially, you know, Albon coming in zero formula one experience uh, prior to this, no super license. First time he got in the car was the shakedown and then four laps into winter testing. He's, he's been in the car and Albon made a lot of mistakes in the first half of the season. Yeah. Um, three very heavy crashes. If we remember rightly in um, Australia, China and Hungary, 
and there are probably some other ones as well, oh, costing okay. them, you know, point yeah. finishes right. as well. I, I don't, I, I've, I clearly I've made this up, but in my head, every time <laughs> Albon had one of those incidents, he came on the team radio and went, oh, darn it. Sorry, guys. I'm the worst. And that was every radio message after all those incidents. My issue with Albon, he's too nice. There doesn't seem to be any sharp or hard edge to that guy. He seems like a lovely, lovely guy, but I just don't, especially up against Max now, I just don't think he's going to get his elbows out. And I would completely disagree with that. I think inside that smile lurks the heart of a killer. And you just have to listen to his radio message after he smashed into Hamilton to just know exactly how much he really wants that. Wait, did you, you hear that? Did you hear it? that? Did you hear that, Gene Z? After he smashed into Hamilton, proof that it was definitely Albon's fault. If you're in a race and you're on for a podium, especially your first, and you get hit out, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to react <laughs> like that. His, react, his reaction didn't surprise me. If his reaction was anything less than that, it would have surprised me. Yeah, he should have been kicking off, to be fair. Should have been kicking off. Um, so, uh, Chris, then, why did a nice guy, Alburn, who was making lots of mistakes and was not showing this killer instinct, why was it him that was put forward and not Kvyat when Gasly came back to the team? Kvyat is a known quantity. But I would also dispute the fact that Albon has no fire in him. If you have ever watched him race in Formula 2, especially last year, that guy has got a drive. Pardon the pun. It's a, it, I'm trying to think of a really good an analogy. I, I almost think of, he's a bit like fire. You know, if you get too close, you get burnt. You know, and he will get his elbows out. I just don't think we've had the exact right opportunity for him to to see his top level yet, which probably will come next year. On the track, maybe. Maybe he's really fiery on the track. A lot of people change when they get on the track. But um, I raced against a 70-year-old man who was the most meek, calm person you've ever met in your life and then smashes you off at every single opportunity. But he's in a team, a high-rising team, with the feistiest person in Formula 1 next to him when he's in those meetings trying to get what he wants from a car, when he's going through development trying to get what he wants from a car, is he going to be able to speak louder than Max Verstappen and get what he wants? That's where I think the difference is. Catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, my friend. Uh, this coming from Alex Van Jean, who is cold, heartless, and aggressive, and then out of the car is cold, heartless and aggressive. All right, Chris. Uh, so the second half of the season, I guess, for Toro Rosso, before we move on, no disrespect to Toro Rosso, uh, involved getting uh, Gasly back from Red Bull. Uh, Matt, did you want to chime in on that? Well, no, I, I just had a question before we move on for Toro Rosso for Chris. That's all. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right. That's um, how this works. To me, one of the more fascinating sub stories is having brought Kvyat back and now having Gasly back. You also have in the rings... Uh, Waiting in the shadows, as it were, Yuri Vips, who's looking pretty fast. So when Vips is ready and he's got the super license thing, who goes? Gasly or Kvyat? So the thing about Vips is, if I remember rightly, he doesn't even have a Formula 2 drive for next year. He's doing another year of F3. And super uh, Formula now. Because uh, remember, Pato didn't have the super license points. So they ditched him and they brought Vips in to take over his Super Formula seat. Okay. But he's not far off having a Super license. But is he confirmed Super Formula for next year? Or I don't know about that. But the question yeah. is, when he's ready, who goes? 
we'll have to see because right now he he doesn't strike me as an immediate threat to either driver. I think we're going to be still waiting at least two years for Red Bull's next uh, driver to actually be at at that right level. Uh, very different to Ferrari, where they've got five guys in F two to to pick from um, at the end of next year. So uh, yeah, but yeah. the thing is, uh, Kvyat is not getting back into Red Bull. The only way, the only way that he gets back into Red Bull is if all the other Red Bull drivers create a band so similar to the Spice Girls that it erases the Spice Girls from memory. Jerry, Jerry Halliwell takes personal offence to that and Christian Horner is forced to sack all of them. That is it. Beyond that, Kvyat's not driving for Red Bull again. And I do think Kvyat will be the one to go because once Gasly got back in that Toro Rosso, it was like somebody hit the reset button on him and the really exciting uh, young Frenchman that we saw in the Toro Rosso last year suddenly came back. And it wasn't just that he was going you know, well in a, in a much slower uh, car, but he smashed Kvyat in qualifying, out-qualified him seven times in the nine races they spent together. And even if you take away his Brazil podium, he still outscored him in that period of time by four points. So mm. there is really no question about who won that battle in my eyes. And Gasly is the more secure driver for me. Okay, so just to sum it up then, we, we, we're we saying that Gasly, because we look at the teammate battles, obviously this is the hardest one uh, to ass- assess. And you'd think everything would be going against Gasly coming from a car with much more grip and uh, just much more drivable down to a slower car that Kvyat has been driving all season, you would think that would be Kvyat's advantage and Gasly has... So that's a big tick in Gasly's box this season that he was able to do that. Who won the early season battle? Oh, uh, Kvyat, uh, for for sure. Because... uh, (laughs) But but Albon has a great excuse. We keep saying, no experience in Formula 1 prior to this season. So it's only to be expected. Um, what we're looking at here is the, the sort of greater potential. And I think Albon, of the three of them, does have the biggest potential. Well, there we go. Uh, you have to think with those kind of results that perhaps, in fact, no, in fact, I will say this. Anybody who suggests that Daniel Kvyat has been caught in the wrong bed at some point and upset someone is uh, slanderous. We won't have it here on Missed Apex Podcast. You're listening to the second half of our 2019 F1 season review Uh, Someone in the live chat was just asking when we're coming back. So whilst this is our last uh, panel show of the year, we are scheduled to come back and take a short break just on the 5th of January. In previous years, we haven't done. And I think it's the right decision this year for us to just have a, a small gap. But we will be here running up to the 2020 season from January the 5th. We will have guests. uh, We will have quizzes and we will have a lot of the F1 chat that we want to have during the season but there's just too many races uh, to get to it. However, uh, I am speaking to people uh, that are regular uh, special guests that come to the shed. So we may have some kind of show lined up for you that might just pop up in the feed. But please do stay subscribed. We aren't going anywhere for that long. And do subscribe. If you just find us from your normal website, uh, from our website, uh, mistapexpodcast.com, and just click the player, please subscribe to us. It really helps us out. And it means you never miss an episode and you're not relying on me to post it to the website. Uh, We are going to move on. uh, But first, I'd just like to say that you can follow the panel uh, on Twitter. We do want your your Twitter follows at 
Alex Van Jean, at Chris on Racing, at MattPT55, and at Spanners Ready, and the show at Missed Apex F1. We have a few side projects as well. Matt and I have been speaking to interesting bloggers from around the world, and you can catch that on our podcast. Welcome to The Shed, which is uh, going down quite well, the first four episodes, and we are going to accelerate that and make that part of our, our week uh, coming up in the new year. Uh, there's also a personal blog of mine. If you want to find out a little bit more of my somewhat odd at times life, you can go to spanners.home.blog because it's WordPress and that was the free option. Spanners.home.blog and check out my blog that uh, called We Need a Volunteer. So, Matt, we need a volunteer for uh, the next team to be reviewed. Who shall we give it to? Where, what team are we going to next? Well. I've been thinking about this and normally you would think like the next team down the road or maybe I would butter, you know, and and, but I've had a look over there in the corner and I've noticed Gigi seems to be paying no attention at all. Wake him up, wake him up. (laughs) And, and I think, I think perhaps having started with the first, we should jump to the last and work our way back to the middle. Okay. So I accept Alex that this is the most difficult team to review and there's not going to be a lot of meat to it but let's talk about williams's 2019 season and the reason i looked like i wasn't paying much attention was because they came in at last minute and i'm still writing my notes but okay wow um, matt's really <laughs> thrown you under the bus there ah it's fine i'm i'm i'm, I'm a professional <laughs> um i can make it work it's fine um yes so williams i think everyone's kind of got a soft spot for williams and watching them suffer over the last four years has been pretty damn difficult um because you know this is a team that have brought us um multiple championships over the years they've been a stalwart for decades and they're suffering they've this year they've this year is their worst scoring year of all time and if you bear in mind that that includes the fact that it's now easier to score points because you've got to be top 10 when back in the day you had to score six, and they still meant to be in the top six or top five at one point. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I, I tell you what, Alex. Uh, when you talk about you know them being a team that's very much people are fond of, it, it's true. Like Williams would never, you know, I was quite young when Williams were doing really, really well, but they never seemed like they were the big bad in some ways. You know, like people see some people see Ferrari as the big bad if they watched through the Schumacher years. Some people now who are coming into F1 see, you know, Mercedes as as this thing that is to be toppled. And they're looking for the hope, you know, the great non-silver hope that can be toppled. If Ferrari or um, or when McLaren were down at the bottom there or Mercedes were to be doing anything like as badly as, as Williams is doing now, there would be a lot of like gleeful mocking in the media. I don't think people are gleefully mocking Williams. I think people are, are devastated. Yeah, completely agree. It's a bit like, you know, um, in recent years in, in football, you've seen Manchester United and Arsenal drop down the league and people laugh at it um, because, oh, well, they've, they've been on top for so long, you know, and there's lots of, and there's lots of banter in that. But yeah, I, it does upset me. I've got an affinity to Williams. I've been to the factory a few times. Um, I've watched a couple of races there. I've actually been around the factory. Um, I've met some of the people there and it's, it's a great place, but it's a shame. Anyway, um, I mean, you talk about their money issues and everyone sort of thinks, yeah. well, part of the reason that Williams have been suffering is they haven't been getting the funding in and um, Martini went away and, and all these sorts of things that, that are making it more difficult for them. And obviously, 
thing that they've done, they've always done, it was a Patrick Head job, which was they've always built their own gearbox. Now, I don't know how much a gearbox is to build, but it's a key component that is that is a high-fund part of the car, that is a high-fund part of the car. Now, what? why don't they buy a gearbox from Mercedes, have that money better spent on a product that works, and then surely that money that they spend on the gearbox can be better used elsewhere on other parts of the car, like aero. You know, yeah. they, they, they got away with it um, in 14 and 15. You know, they yeah. got away with having, having that monster advantage. of a power unit um, low drag, and they managed to make it work. But the last four years is their lowest scoring um, period. Wow. Um, but also, to give you an idea, in 2015, they scored 257 points. In the last four years, they have scored 229 points. Oh, yeah, that hurts. I mean, you, we talk about uh, money, and Williams will deny, Williams as a, as a, I mean, Claire Williams specifically just flat out denies that they're having money issues. But this, this season, I can't, I've lost track. Was it this season or last season? I think it was this season where they struggled to turn up to testing. I'm, I'm looking for, yeah, Chris, for confirmation there. And, and they didn't turn up and they said, oh, no, that's nothing to do with money. That's due to lead times, et cetera. OK, but then, Chris, you know, they they lost uh, key staff. They let go uh, Paddy Lowe. And you start to build up this picture of a team that really doesn't have the money to drive itself forward in an industry so cash orientated. And a question that many people have been asking, uh, similar to uh, Olaf in the chat room, should Williams just become a Mercedes junior team? Uh, and I think the management simply will not allow it. Uh, there was a quote in the Drive to Survive uh, documentary uh, made last year from Claire Williams uh, saying, I think, uh, it's the equivalent of over my dead body, something along those lines. I, I think for that to happen, I mean, it would make a, it would make a good, uh, I think it would make a good sporting sense, as in Williams would be higher up than they are now if they were to be a Mercedes B team. So it is, it's, I mean, pride Pride is, is sometimes said as a bad thing, but it, it's kind of a good pride where they're like, no. But I guess, Jeansy, uh, if Mercedes were to come in and just buy them out, you know, a, a, a money you can't refuse offer and we keep using the Williams name and that's our Alpha Tory, then, haha, I used it. Check me out. I didn't expect I would. Uh, then that's the only scenario where you could imagine that, that they could become a B team. But that's not what Williams were built to be. Williams were built to be a race team. They existed for the pure reason of being a Formula One race team. Um, and if they sell out, then they might as well completely disappear and, and leave the sport. Okay, but some people might accuse them of selling out for the fact that they have gone for money over talent. And I don't think I can uh, I can underestimate or overstate how much last season would have hurt them having stolen Sorokin. So you've got really good engineers there trying to develop a car and who knows? <laughs> Matt's going to take issue with this. Uh, Matt, who knows if they built a good car last year? Because it's impossible to know. Well, uh, I, I, as part of, uh, before we knew Gingy was on, I, I went and looked up the qualifying statistics for Williams in 2018 versus 2019. And their best qualifying in 2018 was 11th. And their best qualifying in 2019 was 17th. And I believe every time they did that, that was because some car actually failed to complete yeah. Q1. Uh, yeah, no, but my, my point would be that, uh, say, 2017's car would be developed uh, using a lot of the information from 15, 16, whereas this year's car, 
might have been really hurt from when they were trying to develop last season, they don't know if anything had an effect because you had Stroll and Sorokin. Uh, to an extent, yeah. But also bear in mind that we have brand new Arrow this year, which always tends to affect the teams that are already doing poorly more than those that are doing well. There is a, a definite case to suggest there is something wrong with the development of the car in particular. If you were to compare the lap times between this year's car and uh, last year's car and uh, a lot of tracks, they were slower than they were 12 months ago. And I know that, you know, the, the new era regulations were supposed to slow the cars down, but everyone else, some teams have gained two and a half seconds over 2018. And this year they have an exponentially better driver pairing this year. You've got mm. George Russell, who is one of the hottest rookies, um, that that we've got coming into the sport. I'll talk more about Russell later. And then he got beaten by Robert Kubica, who scored a point more than him. Oh, I mean, that so, was oh, that was no, just right. phenomenal from Friggard. from the from the from from the man who made his return to outscore that hot rookie. On a serious note, quickly though, because uh, that's ridiculous. Russell obviously is a talent, but obviously Kubica up there in his head has a lot of experience and a lot of talent as well. That must have helped uh, Williams, Chris. Right. So. The Russell thing. I was reading uh, something in Autosport uh, this week, and they compared George Russell's rookie season to that of Fernando Alonso in the Minardi in 2001. Yeah. And there's a really good case for it because it was a back-of-the-grid car, not capable of scoring points. Neither of their drivers scored points. And uh, Alonso, under the current point-scoring system, would have had one point. Uh, because he got a 10th place, but back then it was top eight for points. And he was beaten in the championship that season because his teammate, with all 24 you know, Grand Prix experience under his belt, having never finished a full season, got a ninth place and beat him in the championship. But no one's saying that guy, whoever he was, can't even remember his name, is better than Fernando Alonso. Alex? My, my point that really made me believe Russell was the real deal this year was, and I think I might have said this in one of the shows, is Suzuka, was Suzuka. They did a side-by-side comparison between Albon's lap in the Red Bull and George Russell's lap. And the lap that Russell drove was exponentially a much better lap than the lap Albon drove, using every single inch of the circuit, breaking, well, I don't know if it was breaking later, but it's different speeds, you know, faster, slower car. But just the way he drove that car was like, okay, this kid, this kid is the real deal. And listen, I think again, we talk about Robert Kubica um, in that in that team. The expertise would definitely have been there. Um, the ability to develop a car would have been there. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for Kubica because I don't really think he made any. He didn't blame no. his hand that much nope. or ever throughout the season. Yeah, he just said, which... I've, I've got a li- some limitations and I worked to them. And that's all he said. And when he did his drive to de- drive, not drive to survive, when he did that other podcast, um, he, on the grid. he talked about the fact that he's ready. He's as good as he can be. And the hand won't affect him. Okay. So what's interesting to me, aside from the fact that Kubica actually scored a point in the most crazy race of the year. So clearly whatever else he's lost, he hasn't lost all of it. And he's, we're talking about someone who could have been world champion if you go back and look at what was written about him back in the day. What's interesting to me is there's actually has been a bidding war between Racing Point and Haas 
for him to join and be development driver. So I think he brings a lot to the table. I don't think he's a match for Russell where he is now at his age. But the other thing that I want to bring up about Williams, if I go back and I look at Sorotkin and I look at his qualifying, and then I look at where he finished in races versus Stroll, I think you could easily make an argument that Williams may not be treating both of their drivers similarly, even though they would deny that. I just like, I'm not all the way convinced Kubica got the same treatment that Russell did because Russell comes from Okay, thank you. You've saved me a lot of emails from from Poland and our Polish fans and <laughs> and I will say that that I have the massive uh, massive admiration for Kubica which I've tried to echo all season and which has been reflected in our chat room as well. I don't think anyone's doing that down but we, we are getting close to wrapping up the Williams section uh Gene Z. So I uh, Stuart Neal just made the point, you know, we need to celebrate the fact that we still have F1 privateer teams like that, like Williams and be thankful for it. You know, we'll we'll miss them when they're gone. I think is the the general sentiment. In Will in Williams' slight defence, if there was Minardi, uh, not Minardi, you know the the Caterham Virgin Mauricia, the other one um, HRT HRT. If they if those three teams were there, that would have taken a lot of heat off Williams. But in a ten car grid, when you're when you're that far behind, I mean Williams would have kind of been in between uh, those two. So look, it's they're not they're not HRT. Uh, and if you take their money problems as as given, then actually perhaps you don't know. Maybe they are punching above their financial weight. They just don't want to turn around and say, oh, we're broke and this is the best we can do with the cash we have. My my whole thing about the whole thing of did Russell and um, Kubrick have the same car? I don't think Williams could probably afford to give them the same car. So, And then who are you going to give the development parts to? You're going to give the de- development parts to the slightly older guy with a disadvantage or the guy who's having the seat yeah. paid for by the yeah. guys who supply the engines, who's the next hot rookie, who's going to get the most out of that on a single lap. And as Russell kind of proved throughout the year, it is him. Um, but listen, the, the, the cubicle story is the best story. Unfortunately, it didn't have the payoff that a lot of us would have wanted that story to have um, because I was a massive fan of cubics. Uh, um before he had his big accident yeah. and then he's and I've been wanting him to come back because he had this massive spark when he was around in 07 and 08 and it was a real a real real disappointment um but um listen sell V with Williams and I'm only hoping for better things next year because it did look like they, they improved throughout the year and if they can find a jump I think um, they can at least get a few more points next season. Yeah, and more we'll, than eight than they have in the last two years. And we'll uh, we'll talk more early in the new year of how we feel that Latifi will do uh, against George Russell and whether we'll see George Russell properly tested. And we can unpack what has brought F1's latest driver to uh, to the sport in what some people are openly calling an unimpressive CV for a future F1 driver. I uh, think I've lost it in there oh yeah no basically that was it it was it was to do with the fairy tale that alex was talking about so if you'd have asked most people do you want that fairy tale that alex was referring to i think most people would have voted yes but if you'd have said do you think the fairy tale is real honestly i think if you'd have taken a a referendum on it i think it would have been about 80 20 because i think most people looked at the fact that renault said no and and the scale and severity of the injuries and the length of time away most people thought the fairy tale wasn't going to happen I think the best chance they've got is to get back in the strong midfield 
best of the rest fight. I think that's the strongest they'll ever get again. Unfortunately, however sad it makes me feel. Strong words from Alex Van Jean at Alex Van Jean on Twitter. Let's uh, move on to our next team to review for the 2019 F1 season. Okay, Matt, where are we going next, buddy? Well, I think uh, since we mentioned racing point and passing, we should probably head there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There. Oh, who's got, who's got Racing Point? Oh, it's me! You've given me Racing Point. Hooray! I have no strong opinions about my f- well, probably my favorite driver in F1 and the driver that I've slated the most. Uh, so from a balance point of view, you've given this to absolutely the worst person, but you can hold me to account if you'd like. I think to start off with, then you have to look at the team as a whole and say, well, this season they've not set the world on fire because they have been a team that has, uh, we've got used to the fact that as Force India, they punched above their weight and loads of people in the last few seasons were saying Force India are the best pound for pound team. So per dollar, uh, they were able to extract the most performance. And th- obviously that, that financial situation got worse. Uh, they were having, they were had, they had to be rescued out of administration. I think it was even, it was some shareholders from Mercedes and Perez. I think that was the story that called the administration it looks like they at least saved the team and saved the jobs. Stroll swept in, and then obviously Lance Stroll is part of that. So gone are this uh, this punching above their weight midfield team fighting for best of the rest that we've got used to, Chris. And in its place, we've got kind of a, a genuine tail ender with a, a history of pluck to try and pull it up from the bottom. I think you can still make the case that they're the best pound-for-pound pound team because... Yeah, yeah I'm going um, to. They didn't. They didn't do so great in qualifying this year. A real weakness for them. But I think Perez won two or three like Class B uh, races yep. with what is 
you know, let's say the third best car in that category. Yeah, no, no, I know absolutely. You've you've stolen my thunder. I was going to do an old switcheroo by start, starting off all negative and then making it positive. But I mean, if you look at the pure points in in twenty eighteen, they scored uh, a combined. Oh, hang on, now I've got my maths. My maths are going to a combined one hundred and sixty three points. Is that right, Matt? No, one hundred and eleven. Oh, okay. In 19? Okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry, in 18. In 18, 111 right. points. There we go. Uh, and in this season, 73. So on the on the surface of it, that looks like a big step down. And to say this is a transition year would be completely fair. And now, they, 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 for me, the disappointing thing was they talked about all this additional money coming in. And it looks like the facilities... And the business and the corporate side of it has had cash splashed on it. You know, a better building. If you were to turn up there, it looks amazing. The disappointment was I, I had this hope all season that right now they're going to turn up with a basically a Mercedes style aero package. And it didn't happen this year. No, but I think you could start to see the development really coming. Like it really ramped up, especially in the second half of the season. Like they just launched forward. And I think in 2020, we'll see an even bigger step forward because now they can properly spend the stroll money. Well, I mean, I'm a fan of that outfit, so I I hope so. I'm not necessarily a fan of uh, a billionaire family coming in and installing and, you know, buying his son an F1 team. But But, Go on. Well, but I I think it is an inherent part of motor racing, Formula One or not. You take one quick guy and one rich guy. One rich guy to help fund the team want, and one guy to actually score the points. So you want like the pro-am, basically. It's like if you're a, not, it's if not, you're it's not, not like golf. Mercedes. It's not golf, Chris. No, it, it, for anyway, especially independent outfits. That's what you have to do. That's what it's like in the junior formula. That's what it's like in pretty much every race team that isn't a manufacturer. Matt Trumpets. So hysterically, this is kind of the point I was making about Williams is I think they are looking at their thing as like we have a serious driver's seat and we have a a, a payboy seat and they're going to get different treatment depending upon how we classify you and our hierarchy. And I think you could you could very easily argue the way things are now that Racing Point is the same way. I mean, no. clearly Perez is the pro driver here. There's a there's but, a big difference. There's a bit. I'm oh, sorry. I'll interrupt. There's a big difference in that. Normally, that pay driver comes in knowing that he's the pay driver, and there's no real ambition. They're just getting their turn on the F1 carousel, and they're paying for that. What's happening here is different, and I, I think if they see proper potential in Lance Stroll, they see he's improving in any way. They can't get rid of Perez yet because Perez is the the savior of that that outfit at the moment. He's probably seen in a very good light. But once they find a way to get Perez out and bring someone in, that next person in isn't going to be fighting fairly. In my opinion, from what I've heard, I don't see why they're going to bring in. They're not going to bring in a a young superstar. They're not going to put George Russell in there to go and humiliate Lance Stroll. They're going to put someone in there who's going to listen to team orders. Yes. The only thing to consider there is if we go back to when they went through administration, Stroll actually put very little of his money into saving that team. He put together a consortium that actually ponied <laughs> up most of the yeah, dough. And that's how he rich people... He is a very, very, very good businessman. And so I think that's the one thing they're going to be looking at is points versus dollars when it comes to whoever comes in after Perez, because he has a shelf life. He won't be there forever. Points versus dollars is incredibly interesting. On the face of it then, this year has been an absolute failure for racing points. If you had said Force India 
and let, let, let's use the old names to make it feel a bit more real here. If you said Force India are going to come in and the only team they're going to beat is a, a, a hot, completely financially hobbled Williams, Haas, who cannot switch their tyres on, and Sauber in old money, you would definitely have classed that as a failure because you're saying, actually, Force India should be initially fourth and then slip down to fifth or sixth. And then it's a case of like hanging on till the end of the season because they came out of the box well and didn't have the funds to develop. So on the face of it, this year, Gene uh, Z is a failure. I don't necessarily agree with the getting beaten by Toro Rosso bit because Toro Rosso have had more money pumped into them the okay. last couple of yeah. years than ever before because it's all to there to back up the Honda thing to help the number one team. So to get beaten by Toro Rosso isn't actually that big of an embarrassment. And again, Haas, who had their issues. But to be fair, Haas are a well-financed team. And that's Haas's fault, not for Cindy's fault. Yep, uh, true. So let's let's do a bit of a league of justice for the car that Racing Point for Stroll India have produced this year. They've actually gotten some really good results. So in this current Formula One era, Really, with these teams, we're talking about seventh place. Yeah, so you're looking for seventh place as your as your victory in these categories. So, obviously, the highlight of this year has been the German Grand Prix with Lance Stroll finishing fourth. We know that Lance Stroll can do well when there's chaos, and there certainly was chaos at the German Grand Prix, and that is where Lance Stroll really, really shines. Let's put sprinklers. And just random like mines around the track and have like Indiana Jones style shenanigans, cannonballs rolling behind the drivers out of the pit lane. And, and Lance Stroll will actually go further up the grid. To be fair to Stroll, and I don't like being fair to Stroll, but to be fair to Stroll, you don't see him crash. No, and you don't yeah, see him yeah, this is hit anybody yeah. ever, let alone in the crazy races. So you've got to give him that a little bit. Yeah, he just, he just needs more pace. He, he, he hasn't got that pace. And when you're up against someone like Sergio Perez, who, okay, I don't rate him as highly as you do, Spanners, but um, he is still a quality driver. And a benchmark, I think, is the right term to use for Perez's yes, field. Okay. And I think he's miles away from the benchmark on pace. All I got to say regarding crashing is uh, Max Chilton was famous for not crashing. You know, if you're not going fast enough, you're never going to crash. Yeah, but no, but I think I think uh, Jeansy's point is reasonable in that he doesn't go around jeansying people off the track. You know, he's generally yeah, no. a, a polite and fair driver, and that will go unanswered. And the panel is now muted. <laughs> uh, so um, they've had some good results. Uh, so yes, yeah, so in that kind of crazy condition, like where Lance Stroll, uh, you know, like he did at Canada, he had a fifth place in a crazy race and the famous Baku podium. Outside of that, they have had good results. So where seventh is basically a victory in their class of Formula One, they had Baku, Sixth place. They had uh, Spa, sixth. Italian. Uh, it, Italian. Uh, Monza, seventh. Yeah. Sochi, seventh. Suzuka, eighth. Uh, Mexico, Aerodromo do, uh, de, de Baseball Mexico, seventh. Yeah. And then also in Abu Dhabi, seventh. Now, the last, the last seven results I just read out are Sergio Perez getting the absolute maximum out of that car, driving tactically well, using his head, using fantastic tyre management. They have been real highlights for Racing Point. And the real highlight of that is most of those results came in the second half of the season, which is traditionally when that outfit has fallen away, which means they've made a slow start and they've recovered throughout the season. Now, that bodes really well for people who want the Pink Panthers to do well. 
But I'll also throw this stat out here. Here's a quick stat from my maths earlier whilst cooking a roast dinner, which is a thing I can do now, by the way. Not boasting. I can saw a sofa in half and I can cook a roast dinner. I'm a complete modern man. Right, what was my point? The statistics. So McLaren won Formula B with 145 points. Renault 91. Toro Rosso 85. Racing point 73. Two Two Perez drivers for Racing Point who are performing like Perez, score 104 points, taking points off of their competitors while they do so. That puts them above Renault. Okay, so that is the cost of having Lance Stroll as your as your second driver. And they obviously they're willing to pay that cost, Matt, because it's his kid and they clearly have some faith in him. But that's two places up the F1 driver championship. How much how much actual money is that? How what what bonus did did, did uh, people get differently at the team because of that? And tell me, if that wasn't his kid, they would choose any other driver. Sergio Perez, level driver. They're out there, aren't they, James E? They could hire Hulkenberg, and they're fifth in this championship this year. The big question to ask is, how long is nepotism going to last? How long can Lawrence Stroll go, my son's, my son's still a driver, my son's still a driver, my son's still a driver, until he goes... All right, kid, it's, it's, you've had your chance. It's, it's time to step down now. And I think it's going to be another few years that we're yeah. going to see that seat, for want of a better word, wasted in the hands of Lobster. So, uh, yeah. It is, Get it's, out of my sport. It, no, but it's, it's hard to attack individuals and, and as like as a person and say, <laughs> he's shaking his head, he's saying, no, it's not. But the, the stats don't rack up. And the thing is, he's not a rookie now. He isn't a rookie now. Uh, there's absolutely nowhere to hide from him. I would have said already this season, nowhere to hide. But certainly next season, absolutely nowhere to hide. Eliminated in Q1 14 times this season, Lance Stroll, compared to Sergio Perez 6. So that means on 7... And her, Come on, can we edit that bad bit of maths out, Steve? On 8 occasions, okay, Lance Stroll was out in Q1 in a car that was capable of Q2, Q3. Uh, it's It's rough but the numbers are not on his side at the moment. Uh, And I think I would rate the team much higher than the results they've had so far. All right, let's move on. I hope you're enjoying our 2019 part two season review. Uh, We have a Facebook group. You can go and chat there. There's some eight, 900 people, I think, in there. And a big shout out to Phil Allen, who keeps the posts and the discussions going in there um you can always dm uh, me or the show on twitter i don't mind that at all someone said that's a brave thing to do to open your dms you only get to send me one horrible message before i'm like block 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 uh, i'm very quick with my with my block hammer uh, but generally it's a nice way to have conversations with people so i don't mind at all uh, you can always email me spanners ready at gmail.com and and i'll get to you whenever i can obviously the best place the easiest place to catch up with all the crew, well, I would say that, isn't it, By uh, is by supporting us on Patreon and joining our Patreon Slack group. And uh, that's a real busy group, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. We will also give you an audio feed that you can add to your podcast player. That is ad-free. And that feed will also contain the Patreon-only content we do. And and you're not if you don't do it, you're not missing out. It's not like, oh, uh, we're going to speak to Joe Saywood, Matthew Carter, and special guest Lewis Hamilton, and it's on the Patreon-only feed. That's that's not what we're doing. It is just more, it's a gritty, relaxed, in the shed. We we turn the video feed off and we just sit and have a, a, an, an off-the-mic chat on the mic for our patrons. And it's often quite a lot of fun. Matt Trumpets, 
where are we? People don't like it. Want to do that? You know, so a lot of people don't like it. They don't like the so Matt trumpets. Where are we going next? I think we should probably talk about the other other Ferrari team, Alfa Romeo. Or Romeo, is, as you people say. Is that the one that has changed its name or the one that's staying with Sauber? You mean Sauber? Who's, Sauber, review, who's yes. reviewing Sauber for us? I believe that is Chris Shelvzera Stevens. And by the way, someone was saying in the chat, apologies, I've forgotten who it was, that Chris should have been doing Williams because your bedsheets and wall and the other wall on the other side with handprints are in Williams colours. Yeah, it's all a, um, it's all accented. It's all themed. The wall that I'm staring at right now is the same colour as that wall as well. So, Is that just how your room was when you were a baby and it just hasn't changed? It's just a baby boy, blue room, that kind of thing. Uh, this is my sister's room. So, Oh, and Chris, look, you've got a TARDIS in the background from when you watched Doctor Who when you were a child, because that's who that programme is for. It's not for children. It, I mean, kids can watch it, but adults can enjoy it. Stop being ashamed of your room that you should be ashamed of and review Sauber for us. I'm not ashamed. Those are my handprints. I'm very happy with them. So, Alfa Romeo. Um, only eighth in the championship, which is a bit surprising when you consider how well they started the season uh, and all the sort of hype that was built up about Alfa Romeo uh, coming back, you know, the name coming back into uh, Formula One with a bit more investment from the Fiat Chrysler uh, group. Uh, Alfa Romeo, of course, the first first uh, first winners in Formula One and uh, Constructors' Champions. So um, obviously very different times back then, back in 1950. Um, but no. for a, as low a position uh, as, as we think this is in the championship, uh, more points compared to, to last year, 57 points versus 48 in 2018. And I would argue it's not as strong a lineup okay. as... No. As last year. So that's because a good place to start. Yeah, go on then. So last year they had that guy, the Swede. Ericsson and Leclerc, right? But if you're going to compare Ericsson to Raikkonen, who is now 40 years old. and The prime rookie, of his life. Thank you very much. Rookie Antonio Giovinazzi. I'd say that's a, uh, not as strong a lineup as they had last year. So definitely we can point towards the car being somewhat improved. Oh, I see. So you're... I mean, 57 versus 48 points. I mean, that is a coin toss and a freak result away. It's, it's yeah. as near to about the same. as. But you're saying that because they've got less good drivers, which is definitely not going to upset hordes of Kimi Raikkonen fans, uh, email chris at chris at notspanners.com. Uh, you're saying that you're crediting them more for the same result. Well, here's the thing. because Raikkonen is a safe pair of hands, right? very, very consistent. And actually, that was the key to their strong start to the season. They were able to just bag points because Kimi was you know, able to be so consistent. But contrary to popular belief, Antonio Giovinazzi, especially in the second half of the season, was quicker than Kimi Raikkonen. Michael Brown in the chat room says Giovinazzi is slower than time. Are you... Are you are you crediting Giovinazzi for beating Raikkonen? Oh, that's a good question. Um, if anything, I'm more just trying to dispel um, a, a a rumor, not a rumor, maybe a a statement. You know that oh, he doesn't belong in F1. Um, he's far too slow. What what on earth is he doing on the grid? Blah 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 blah. And I will say, this season has been very suboptimal for Antonio Giovinazzi. There's no getting around it. Between him. Coming second 
and GP2 in 2016, did two races for Sauber in place of Pascal Verlein. But what has he done since then? He's done a bit of work and a bit of other, you know, some stuff, nothing consistent, nothing keeping him sharp. And I think that's really, really hurt him because he's thrown back into to Formula One and suddenly it's, well, oh, and he's had a, an erroneous season to say the least. And that has cost him points, but some stats for you. So in the second half of the season since Spa, uh, he outqualified Kimi. And actually for the season, it was only 11 versus nine uh, between Kimi and, and Giovinazzi. So for somebody of Raikkonen's experience and caliber, it's not bad for a rookie. Uh, and I think they got outdeveloped by other teams as well. So Giovinazzi was coming up yeah. right as Alpha was falling down the order as well. I Right. As much as Kimi's great for F1, I, right. Do I, you know, it's one of those moments, go, do I say this? Do I, okay, right. Do okay. it. All right, cool. Uh, someone mod the YouTube comments for me. Kimi Raikkonen's <laughs> a, a 40 year old pay driver because he is in that team due to some personal investment. Like he owns part of the Alfa Romeo team. I, he, he's not a top flight driver anymore. And I don't think once he'd lost his Ferrari drive, Alex, was anybody going to employ Kimi Raikkonen and pay him anything like a top-line driver wage? Are you saying he's playing FIFA as a player manager? That's the one. There you go. He's gone, I know what I'll do. And that's the thing. And and then the alpha manager will get sacked by the board and he'll step in as the player manager. That's how that works out. Trump yeah, is, I, I'm, oh, I've never been Kimi's biggest fan, um, especially in, in the later years. And it, I just do, when you see what... Um, Leclerc has done in the Ferrari compared to Seb, you actually see how far behind um, the curve Kimi Raikkonen was and could we have a new up-and-coming hot rookie in that seat rather than a 40-plus bloke who is just there for giggles. On the other hand, uh, he did win a race last year in a Ferrari, did he not? He did pretty well in the Lotus Renault team, which was not a top team. And if you are Cedric Vasseur and you have a team that has essentially all but been bankrupt and been dragged back from the edge, I'd say that Kimi might not be the worst piece person no. to put into no, no, a no. seat yeah, I'm with you. to ensure that you get sponsors, to ensure you have money flowing, and to get results. Now, see, Kimi, as I said, he's a safe pair of hands. I think Alpha right now are looking at this interim period in terms of their drivers. Because you've got Kimi there, he'll be great for developing the car. You've got a, a young-ish, I say young-ish, Giovinazzi is 26 years old now. Which what? for somebody to be, you know, coming into their second yeah. season in is not, not great. But, um, yeah, you've got, you've got them there to, to kind of push this in forward and, and score the points. But for 2021, they're going to be so spoiled for choice. Because the Ferrari Academy drivers that are in uh, Formula 2, and could be looking at a promotion to uh, to Alpha and maybe even Haas because they've got so many. They might want to chuck out Grosjean or Magnussen. They've got Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilock, uh, Schwartzman, Armstrong, Giuliano Alesi. So many in there that they could just pluck and 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 bring up to, to Alpha for 2021. So we think Kimi is going to be retiring at the end of next year. Giovinazzi's got to be looking over his shoulder. All right then. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm glad. Uh, Matt pointed that out 
to, to cut off some of the comments. Nobody is saying that Kimi Raikkonen hasn't had a great career. I don't think anybody is saying that. Please, please don't be mad at me. And I'm also not saying he shouldn't be at Sauber. I think it's a great choice. You've made a great point. He's the perfect person to put in because he's come with popularity, can attract funding. I doubt he's you know shoving his own things in there, but he's got a share of the team. It's an, it's an absolutely perfect choice. And as Chris said, you have the good person and maybe a driver who brings a bit of money in, which is what Raikkonen is now. I'm just saying he is technically a paid driver. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if he is actually being paid, you know, eight million pounds a year to drive for, for, for Salva or sorry, for Alpha. You know, I don't know. But from, from what I can see, he's a paid driver, which makes Giovinazzi's season for me worse because you're up against uh, definitely an aging at 40 you're definitely an aging racing driver you're up against a 40 year old paid driver and you're barely having your days against him you know i've been waiting for the opportunity to bring up tires oh joy all right matt wait let me put the video just on you so we can all focus everybody uh, focus or skip forward 60 and as annoying as it is to have to agree with Chris for any reason whatsoever, especially about Giovinazzi, who I never rated as highly. He's quick, but he was more inconsistent than other rookies we've seen. Call him immature, call it what you will. But the fact of the matter is, if you go back and look at some of the race strategies he was on, they put him on a set of tires for like 40 laps that were worn out in 15. And he would radio in and he'd be like, should I still be on these tires? I can see the canvas. They're like, all we have left are rubbish bins to put you on. You must stay out. And then it, it, it would <laughs> emerge that, no, that wasn't really the case. Uh, but he, he got some terrible strategy, especially in the first half of the year. And so in the sense of comparing the points, I would take that with more of a grain of salt. And in terms of the qualifying, the second half of the year, it, it's hard to argue with the fact that he's been faster than Kimmy, who, although has certainly always been a bit rubbish in qualifying. Okay, but that's the minimum. So next season, they've retained him. He, he's done enough to be retained. Nowhere to hide for Giovinazzi next season as well. You have to be. He's going to turn 41 next season. Yeah, you have to beat Kimi Raikkonen next season. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Not, not for the sake of his life, but for the sake of us saying he had a successful 2020. Uh, do you want to finish up on anything, Chris? Or shall we move on to our last team of the 2019 two-part race review? Oh, let's move on to Haas. I know right. Matt's going to be so excited about it. Let's well, let's do it. Let me play because uh, I've got I've got a new toy. You see, I've got a new I've got a new toy where the video comes up at the same time as the sound. So I'm going to do it now. Oh yeah, that's proper posh. We're like the big boys, Matt. We're we're getting there. 2020. It's going to be our year if we can just turn it on at the right time unlike Haas have done with their tyres their season it's, to be fair you're the perfect person to review this because of your American bias so you support Haas by default uh, you you are calling for more tra- tracks to be left hand turn only you're calling for more ovals in F1 so that they can be successful and also they are the tyre the, the team that has uh, generated the most tyre talk so in every sense you were destined to review Haas's 2019 season. Yeah, it's pretty much true. I did assign myself this team. But that's because they are, regardless of how they finish, probably one of the most entertaining teams on the season. (laughs) And I have the following two words to say to you. Rich energy. I mean, alone, there is an entire storyline 
for the whole season, and and we're still laughing about them, right? <laughs> so, yeah, like, Rich Energy are sponsors so bad the the ailing Williams team that have no funding. I think took a long, long a long good look at them and went. Yeah, no, we'd rather just sack Paddy Lowe and not go to testing <laughs> than have Rich Energy. Uh, off you go. And they went and found Haz. I don't know if that's how it happened. I, I'm almost certain that's exactly how it happened. Uh, but I will say uh, it was absolutely the worst season since they've joined Formula One. Bar none. Can't argue with that. Um, it, it was tantalizing, their performance in Australia. Oh, yes. Wasn't Rojan it? Rojan finished Six in qualifying, he was over half a second up on the fastest McLaren. And then in the race, yeah, that's right. They didn't get the wheels on his car again. Still, Magnussen finished sixth, which is an excellent result. Um, and that was it. It was just like downhill from there. They did good in Bahrain. And by the time you get to the middle of the season, it was just an utter, utter disaster. They had some fundamental flaw, either with their development or with the car. That was inherently unfixable across the whole of the season, especially when you consider they are bar racing point uh, from 2018. They were the least well-funded team on the grid. It was complicated to follow what was going on uh, with with Haas and with their development cycles. Uh, Grosjean came in for a lot of slack. He, he attracted a lot of that himself, of course. He can't drive under a safety car can't leave the pit lane, is uh, on all the bookies, he's always the shortest odds to to crash. So it was hard to kind of, no, to, to DNF first, sorry. So it's always hard to gauge what's going on with their development. We take Magnussen as this baseline and Grosjean as somebody who has some very high peaks, but no consistency whatsoever and seems to come up with just these really strange and erratic errors. But the story of, of their development and how Haas you know, suddenly put Grosjean back in in the Australia car, either because they wanted a new baseline or they realised that giving Grosjean parts was a waste of money. And once they were told not to go for Nico Hulkenberg, because Ferrari want him to replace Seb if Seb drops out at any reason, you heard it here first, uh, because they have to keep Grosjean, they're like, oh, we need to start saving money on parts now. But it's a difficult season technically to unpack, like to follow their development cycle was just bizarre. Yeah, well, it's because they have always been, um, much like the original Braun team, they've always been start strong and hang on. And as I did, I went and looked at the the quality results. Uh, and actually, uh, only, in only seven races did they fail to get a car into the top 10 in qualifying. Last year, it was five races. But if you look at where they qualified... This year's car was decidedly not as good, and they were they found themselves in a hole they could not spend their way out of, whether it's because Rich Energy deserted them or whether it's because they just never had the cash to begin with. Oh. It's hard to say. We know that Haas is looking for someone to come in and co-sponsor the car. We don't know if they're going to be here in 2021 right now, but I felt it was kind of my job to sort of try and look on the optimistic side, and I would start with Toro Rosso, who was ninth last year. And right back up there this year, they've done something else interesting. They've got Fittipaldi on board as a sim driver. They okay, might have hang on, hang on. Hang on. I, I get confused driver. with the, the Fittipaldis. Uh, Christian. Okay. Christian? Is Whichever he, is... one has been, he drove, or Pietro. Pietro, sorry. And there Pietro. you go. And now that is why I get confused with them. There's 18,000 Fittipaldi. Yeah. So he, he's in as a sim driver. 
But what's different is they're going to have him in the sim over the weekend. Apparently, they haven't bothered to do this yet. Okay. So I'm thinking this is like some very low-hanging fruit that might help them out a bit next season. Uh, They seem to be making with that experimental floor at Abu Dhabi some real progress in understanding what had gone wrong with this year's design. And the aero regulations are stable from last year to this year. And so that second year is where we see a lot of catching up being done. So I'm I'm not willing to say that they're just done. Their initial Ferrari, their initial Ferrari advantage is just shot and they will be nowhere. I think if you look at some of the qualifying performances and you look at some of even some of the race performances, the potential in that car exists and they'll have a good chance to unlock it for the following season. Matt says potential in that car exists and there is some some way they can unlock it in 2020. Counterpoint. They did the Abu Dhabi test on the Pirelli 2020 tires and I was expecting the vote to come back 9 to 1. I, I really was. I was expecting it to be 9 to 1, but it was unanimous to keep this year's tires. Why on earth would Haas vote to keep this year's tires? Who gives them a power unit? I see. I st- Oh, man. Okay, Jeansy. But having said that, who gives them a power unit? One of Ferrari's biggest weaknesses this year was managing the tyres. They couldn't manage their tyres anywhere near as much as Red Bull or Mercedes could. I think all the teams believe that they will be better off building on what they have already learned over a year rather than having to start from scratch. And and then we end up with this massive disjointed you know, connection like we had at the beginning of the this year. I think also because the tyres are the whole, they asked for tyres that will last better. So therefore, inherently, they have less grip. You give drivers less grip and drivers go, oh, there's less grip. I don't want these tyres. I want the ones that have got more grip on them. So I think the drivers can shoot the teams in the foot. Yeah, you've really put your finger right on it. In fact, I think Brad and I might even sit down and have a wee little chat about it. So as not to take up the next 47 hours. I was not consulted on this decision. I just suddenly saw in the Slack group. Oh, yeah, Brad and I are doing a tires special. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And I'm assuming that I wasn't consulted for a reason. But do let me know if you want that episode up. That could be like a, a bonus Christmas season episode that I will not listen to. And the title will be tires special don't feel like you have to listen to this it's fine honestly i thought we were going to call it tire time but okay okay well i prefer my title because i like our listeners Uh, you apparently hate them and are thinking of pursuing that project what was your point i've I've forgotten Uh, the point is that he's absolutely right the characteristics pirelli were asked to develop into the tires were 100 percent responsible for the way they performed when they were put on the cars Add to it, the cars themselves weren't optimized around the tires. They were a slightly different construction, a slightly different shape. So what you had was the softest compound of the tire, which was at the tire. Different shape. Slower. Still round. The next softest compound from this year. And so all the drivers are like, wait, what? No way. This is terrible. We don't have the grip anymore. And the teams are like, do we really want to spend money redeveloping all that arrow? And so, yeah. yeah. So the 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 moral of the story is: be careful what you ask for, kids. Yeah, because <laughs> you just might get it. Yeah, Pirelli's mistake was turning up with Fred Flintstone square tires with just a hole in the floor. That <laughs> that's where they went wrong. That's where they lost the crowd. A question for Matt with regards to Haas and their tire troubles: yeah, was sure. Haas's issue um, keeping them at an optimum temperature, 
Were they not getting them hot enough? Were they getting them too hot? Because obviously they were good in qualifying. So that tells me Both. they were able to get them up to temperature for a couple of laps to get a quality lap in. And then they were either dropping that temperature off or increasing it. Which way was it? I believe they were overheating them. They said the cooler temperatures was, I think, slightly better for them. But in essence, uh, hearing Magnuson do, a, do an interview, he said that uh, slow speed corners in yaw, in particular, they had um, they had they were losing arrow. They they were losing arrow in transition. So you would at that point you would really be doing a lot of damage to your tires. Essentially, the arrow was inconsistent in the twisty bits. And that was fundamentally problematic and something they couldn't really solve because they'd already built the chassis for this year. Something they have in common with Ferrari, by the sounds of things. Christ, weird, isn't it? How they have so much in common and they struggle with much of the same things. It's really odd, that. Hmm. Anyway, Matt, that's the team. Let's, uh, let's round up. Let's round up the Haas story. Because I think, I think we need to do some season awards quickly at the end of this. Wouldn't you... What do you reckon? Yeah, I think, oh, look, Jeansy's panicking. He has got, he can't think of things on his feet. Chris, improv king, he's there with some answers already. Uh, Matt, uh, drivers, Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean, I have to say, both drivers, I really, I really like both of them. Magnussen, as a driver, is like, he's in my top five favourite F1 drivers. Like, he's right up there. Uh, who won? If there's a, such a, a thing, Magnuson flat out won. He had 20 points to Grosjean's eight. He outqualified him over the course of the season. The only thing you can say in Grosjean's defense is that he insisted that there was something fundamentally wrong with the car, and he was not incorrect about that. And we know from our chats with uh, Carter that he is incredibly good and detailed with his feedback, whereas Magnuson is very much laconic let's say with his feedback it works that doesn't work <laughs> and that's about what you get from him so i think they really bring different things to the team so so car 20 scored 20 points and car 8 scored 8 points no that's spooky no that didn't happen oh my i might have got that, that wrong if that no, happened really happen? if, if that happened aliens are real i don't care what anyone says jeansy magnuson got 20 points yes yeah He's, Holy crap. Is he car 20? And their car's 20 and 8. Yeah. Well, I don't like that. That makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Like nothing, <laughs> nothing I know is, is true anymore. Up is down. Maybe the earth is indeed flat. Simon Dan, who told us it was round on the latest episode of Welcome to the Shed. I've been watching loads of his stuff on YouTube. I love Simon Dan. Well, then you, should, then you should check out our new podcast, Welcome to the Shed, that, where me and Matt talk to interesting people like Simon Dan, who used to be the minor member of Dad Hub and is now a superstar YouTuber who earns like a billion pounds and we hate him for it. And that's where I learned, that's where I learned about Simon Dan and that show isn't long enough. That was my only critique of that show. I'm sorry. Um, uh, sorry Trump Trump Grosjean. We- so I, I respect, you know, Grosjean's ex-team boss's opinion of Grosjean, but I think since the change of Renault, Renault, Lotus, whatever they were, can't keep track of it. Um, I think we've seen a steady decline in Grosjean in the last few years. And I was head in hands when I found out that he kept his drive for this year. I think he's had his time. Um, I think he's, you know, I think you made a point a couple of weeks ago, Spanners, that he was always odds on favorite to be the first person to be the race. Indeed, I made that point five minutes ago as well. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I wasn't listening. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I just, I think he's had his time. He's not going to be a world champion. He's not going to beat K-Mag. I like K-Mag, but, you know, Hop can have that seat. See, so many Ferrari Academy drivers for 2021. They can't all fit in Alfa Romeo. I think some of them are going to end up at Haas. If uh, they're still there. Trumpets. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, but I, I would agree if we were playing the same game we were playing with Toro Rosso, who goes first? I think Rojan goes first. Magnussen has just been more consistent across the races and in the race events, which I really think about how much fun it was to see Magnussen overtaking Grosjean. The amazing pit stop in Germany. They did really provide us with some decent highlights. But I think when it comes to wheel-to-wheel stuff, Magnussen has the edge. But I think when it comes to pure speed, Grosjean is faster by a tiny bit. Fantastic. Right. I've had a change of heart on the awards because we've we've run a, a minute and 18 already. And if we do the awards, this will be a two hour podcast. So uh, we could tack that on uh, to a show in January where we've got a feature and then we'll also do some awards. Or maybe what we could do is just invite like eight, like get a day where all 10 people in our in our current crew uh, and also the video guy and um, I think the Scandinavian no he's not he's Norwegian no he's Dutch the, the website guy you know Felix Felix Bone where is he from I don't know where he's from just get everybody on and we can do our awards uh, for the whole season at some point to kick off our, our 2020 shows uh, on January the 5th Jeans are you about to say a thing oh I, I, after my initial shock of not being prepared at all for awards and not knowing what they're going to be i was quite looking forward to doing them ah okay look we've gone we've gone long i'll tell you what we could also maybe squeeze in a holiday show if people are around i will i will do an ask around and see who's available during the next few weeks but i would like to take a little bit of a break and see you fresh back in 2019 uh in 2020 january the 5th i think we will leave it there we've got one award we've got one award that we will do but I just want to thank you guys for really for being with us. The fact that we do it live and you're with us in the live chat room. I'm looking now. It's an end of season review a couple of weeks after the season is finished. And we've still got 300 people knocking about and joining us live while we do this. And we still have at least 20,000 people actually this year. 20,000 people tune in and check out what we're doing in the shed. We get so many emails. We get loads of interaction on Twitter. And I love all of it. It really makes it worthwhile. Don't ever think that your YouTube comment or your iTunes review or your email is wasted. They are all fantastically appreciated. You can get in touch with me, spannersready at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter. I'm at spannersready. The show is at Mist Apex F1. Uh, my co-host here is at MattPT55. Here we do more than just F1 podcasts together. We do Welcome to the Shed and, and a few other projects too. Chris Stevens uh, is going to be doing some commentary for us, I hope, as well, uh, as we start ramping up towards our Missed Apex karting event on April the 25th. I have had uh, a lot of preliminary interest. So get in there. Let me know you're interested. Spannersready at gmail.com. And I'll start collecting the money at the end of January because... Let's be honest, none of us have got any cash at all until the end of January. Uh, but do get in touch. Let me know that you want to come. Chris is at Chris on Racing on Twitter. Alex Jeansy Van Jean, underfollowed, but loves, he loves the attention of the Twitter followers. So if you are happy to feed attention seekers, just know that your follow for Alex Jeansy Van Jean will not go wasted. 
thank you so much. It's been a fantastic season. Do consider supporting us to keep us going through the winter and into next season. We have come so far with 371 patrons who support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We've come this far. Top 100 in UK iTunes this month. We have popped up to after our episode was released consistently top 200 in the whole sports category. Um, not a subgenre, the, the main sports thing, like a real dream to pop into the top 100. We've come this far with just that support from the patrons. Imagine how far we can go in 2020. We have got some super ambitious plans. I hope you'll join us for that ride like you have this year. And uh, enough comment from me. We want the best comment from the chat room. And I definitely wasn't saying things while I was looking for the button. Comment of the week. Okay, I lied to you. I was looking for that button for like five seconds. I made my buttons purple with black writing, which means I cannot see what... They're all the same. I have to like lean down and look at the mat. What are the nominees... For comment of the week. And do you know what? I'm not going to restrict you to three. You can have you can have up to three and a half. Ah, uh, good. Five it is then. Dope. Right. So, uh, and uh, there were several that we read out on the air. So apologies in advance if yours is one of the ones we read. Uh, but we will start with Eyehammer when discussing the uh, next year's Toro Rasa. It's pronounced so now the Yeah. So now the engine is tested. So next year they'll test a new name. And take a lot of penalties for that, hopefully. Ouch. <laughs> okay. And along along, along those same lines, uh, Dino Montre- Montreux? Ah, I've screwed that up. Anyway, to avoid confusion, Alfa Romeo to be renamed Toro Romeo. Oh, man, that absolutely cracked me up. It's just like, it's the ridiculousness. It's just the ridiculousness of it. Like, like Williams go, right, we're going we're gonna to rename ourselves to Mercedes Williams. Oh, no, hang on. That would make sense. No, they. It's, that is all just the opposite way around. All right, I've messed that up. Move on quickly. Will Mades. Will Mades. Will Mades. There we go. Uh, I Hammer again, getting in on the name thing, said they should be called perhaps Alpha Bromeo when we were talking about Raikkonen. Oh, okay. Whoa. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't think you're saying it right. I think it's I probably. War. I think it's war. I probably amn't. But anyway, uh, Jr. Suboptimal. A bit like my diet planning, and I can uh, feel you there, my friend. It is the holiday season. And last of all, we come back to iHammer, discussing the remarkable fact that both Magnuson and Grosjean scored their exact car numbers and points. Gunther is changing their numbers next year to 98 and 97. That cracked me up. I could not hold it together for that. Yes, absolutely. That was an amazing comment. All right. Who is our winner, Matt Trumpets? Yeah, it's a tough one, but I think I'm going to have to go with Dino to avoid confusion. Alfa Romeo to be renamed Toro Romeo. I think just mentioned in dispatches that Gunther Steiner changing the team numbers to 98 yeah. and 97 was incredible. But well done, Dino. You are the winner of... Comment of the Week. I found it slightly quicker that time, but it still took me quite a while. So obviously, with thanks to today's panel, Chris Stevens. Matt Trumpets, Alex Van Jean, but also our driver pro, Bradley Philpot, who's given us so much great driver insight. Chris Catman-Turner, whose appearances have eventually sort of stacked up throughout the year. We'll get a quiz from him. He's always a keen participant in our karting events. He has his own race suit and I beat him. I have to mention that at every possible point. Uh, we've had some real good panellists that have come up and helped me out as a co-host 
when I've not had either of these two fine gentlemen. We've had Nick Alexander all the way from Canada or or Mexico. I'm not sure where he's from. And also Kyle Power has come in and helped me out. Not only over there on that radio show being my F1 expert, but here as well, providing us with some really good F1 insights. Sarah Nichols as well, who's done so much work here and on the W Series and will be looking to produce some shows for us next season. And then behind the scenes, this fantastic video setup scene, all the little bumpers, all the breakers. Do check out the video if you're a podcast listener from our fantastic, if not a little bit curmudgeonly, uh, Steve Amy, who's been amazing. He's he's made us look professional. We do not deserve how this looks. Uh, but th- there's been a price, Jeansy. I mean, it's not all smooth sailing. Um, yeah, I, I need to get myself green screen. And he keeps having to go at my camera, but um, yeah, I'm I'm far too washed out and soft today, whatever that means. The, the message I got was Jeansy is soft today. I'm like, he's always soft. He's always soft, lad. Is that Jeansy? Yeah, we all got yeah, we all get yelled at, but it works. It's worth it because we all look beautiful as well. And uh, we would just would not have a website that makes any kind of sense at all, or any of our thumbnails or graphics without our fantastic uh, media graphics guy Felix Bolen. After three years, I should have learned how to say his surname. So no one's going to help me. It's going to leave that hanging. But Felix, uh, he's, he's only appeared on the show once on a race review. And then he didn't watch the race before doing it. But behind the scenes, he's absolutely fantastic. And of course, the great special guests we've had this season, the fantastic Joe Sayward, Matthew Carter, Matt Summerfield doing that great tech. We've had Alex Brundle on a couple of times this year. uh, Also, uh, the absolutely brilliant Chris Medland has had three appearances in the second half of the season. Uh, Christian uh, Pedersen, who is a Danish radio producer who's really added to the crew. And more great names and faces coming up for you next season. But wherever we see you next, be brave. Because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. For definitely maybe the last time in 2019. The thing is, you make a plan, and I made the plan. We're going to take a break. But then as the show's ending, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's 20 days. I can't go 20 days without missed Apex. I've never, Matt, we've never had a break like that. I I don't know how I'll function without any missed yeah. Apexiness. It, it, you sort of start to organize life around the show a bit. And yeah. I'll, I'll start uh, having to pay attention yeah. to my children. I, like, I wonder how they're getting on. Last time I really paid attention, Treeface was like four. I think he's 10 now or something. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.